Have you ever wanted to play the perfect tabletop game where story beats run smoothly and there's no awkward pauses between dice rolls? Yeah, me too. But since that's impossible, I did the next best thing and novelized my Witcher tabletop game to showcase the story in its cleanest form. The result is this podcast. I'm Jacob Gerstel, and this is Tales from the Witcher. Part audiobook, part actual play, part serialized adventure, and a whole new way to vicariously enjoy tabletop games. Welcome to the world of The Witcher, where monsters roam freely and the continent is once again at war. If you were hoping to follow the plight of Gale to Rivia, however, I'm not going to be doing that. Instead, I offer you the story of a not-so-merry band of degenerates who are making their way across the continent. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Quelled. It's worth less than Novigrad after the sack. Common saying among northern merchants. 1. Despite the city of Novigrad still burning around them, and despite the fact that there were dozens of citizens ahead of them who needed medical attention, the barber surgeon allowed Zevo into the infirmary. This was because he had an emergency hanging on his back. Jeremiah of Edern's arms were loosely wrapped around Zevo's neck, and he was cycling in and out of a fitful sleep, so it was on the Witcher to carry him. Silva trotted alongside Zevo, gently holding up his shoulder. Jeremiah's left leg hung unnaturally to the left, flaking with dried blood, Arthur of Garamore's parting gift. The Novigrad Infirmary was a mismatch of hastily pitched tents taking up the southern square. A thick brown haze of dust filled the air, which made Zevo cough with every other breath. Sickly blue flames still burned across the city, but it seemed, in the southern square at least, they were finally put out. Naturally, Screams punctured the air. The barber surgeon led Zevo and Silva to a tent the color of burlap, where a wooden operating table had been set up. She was an older woman with thinning gray hair, and she still wore her billowing nightgown. She calmly instructed Zevo to place Jeremiah on the operating table. The witcher did, but only with some difficulty. He felt his wounded side twinge, and the left half of his face throbbed with low-tier pain. One quick inspection of Jeremiah's leg, and a short sniff followed by a distasteful grimace, and the barber surgeon said what Zevo expected to hear. We're left amputated at the knee. What? Silva said. The witcher nodded. How long will it take? The way this leg's looking? Not long. The barber surgeon rolled out her surgical instruments from a leather case. She selected an opaque brown bottle and turned it over on a white cloth until it was soaked through. She placed the cloth over Jeremiah's mouth and nose. The craftsman, who was squirming on the operating table from some horrid nightmare, stilled, and his breathing slowed. Do you need any assistance? Zevo asked. From you? No. Come back in two hours. You could take him then. The barber surgeon spoke with authority, so Zevo did not question her. He nodded and left the tent, sidestepping a blinded fisherman covered in soot, who was stumbling towards the infirmary. Silva followed, and watched the fisherman crash into a young girl who was crying for her mother, and no one seemed to pay either of them any mind. Everyone had enough of their own problems to focus on. 
For one of the few times in his life, Zevo thought with a grim satisfaction, he was not a magnet for commoner's morbid fascination. No one paid him any mind at all. Ethramel had told Zevo when they first entered Novigrad that the rendezvous point was a small church near the western bridge, down the street from a brothel named Crippled Kate's. He had left Silva and the Witcher to secure that spot, and now, relieved of Jeremiah for two hours, the two of them headed towards the church. Zevo, Silva said, shouldn't you have let the barber surgeon look at your wounds too? No, I'm fine. But, I said I'm fine, Zevo growled. Witchers heal faster than normal humans. Don't worry about me. The morning sun was fully up, and in a way, it made the horrors of the city even worse. Dozens of bodies, some mangled, some trampled, some looking strangely peaceful, were lying in the street Zevo and Silva took. Smoke settled over the city like a pall, making it difficult to see more than a few feet ahead. Panicked citizens flocked by from every door, alleyway, and corner, but there was less urgency in their movements, as if they knew the worst was already behind them. More than a few of these citizens were hobbling or bloodied or moving with a dazed expression on their dust-covered faces. Again, no one paid the hulking witcher any mind. Zevo tried to give them the same courtesy. His boots crunched glass as he made his stolid way down the street. He smelled charred meat and did not want to guess its origin. He heard shrieks of anguish and agony and remorse punctuate the air. He saw a beggar leaning against the crumbled masonry of what was once a fine two-story home, helplessly rattling a copper mug. The acrid air tasted bitter, like coffee grounds. Let's stop here a moment, Zevo said, turning into an alleyway and sitting on top of an overturned wooden crate. He caught his breath while Silva waited. Zevo touched his wounded side and winced. It was true that witchers healed faster than humans, but not superhumanly so. Fortunately, Arthur's stab was shallow and didn't seem to puncture any organs. It just hurt. Zevo made a note to change the wound's dressing next time he had a chance. He drew his skinning knife from his boot, the very knife that murdered the Gutter King. He brought it up to his charred eye patch. Its edges were grafted to Zevo's skin from Stesco's fire spell, and it was starting to itch. You'll want to look away from this. Silva didn't react, so Zevo shrugged and pinched the center of the eye patch and pulled it away from his face. He took a deep breath and punctured the eye patch with the knife's tip. Then he sawed away at it with gentle care, rounding the eye patch until it was freed. A thin, red circle ringed around Zevo's left eye, and it still itched. Zevo tossed the eye patch away and scratched. The sun beamed down on Zevo's left eye, so bright he had to shut it. He blinked, closed his right eye, and opened his left. The world looked watery, but his vision sharpened in seconds. Zevo knew Silva was staring, inspecting the three vertical scars running down his left eye that was a darker yellow than his right, as if stained, and lined with thin red veins. His left pupil still retained its cat-like shape, but it bulged out in the middle, and grew and contracted at regular intervals, as if unable to make up its mind. I got this, Zevo said, pointing to his pupil, from a pirate's crossbow bolt. It ripped my damn cornea. I was treasure hunting with Isabel, an old companion of mine. We barely made it out of that fight alive. Do you have a piece of cloth I can use? For what? Silva asked. 
to cover my eye. Can you see with it? Not as well as the right, but yes. I always thought you wore that patch because you lost your eye, Silva said. Why cover it if it works? Zebra recalled showing Jeremiah, Ethramel, and Cedra his wounded eye once, and none of them thought to ask what Silva just did. In fact, none of them ever mentioned his eye again. I suppose I thought covering it made me look less monstrous. Silva laughed. I don't know how to tell you this kindly, Zepho, but you look scary as shit. Eye patch or no eye patch? He supposed that was true. He'd accumulated several more scars since he started wearing the patch, and none of them helped his looks. Zevo scratched the left side of his reddened nose, which was already beginning to peel. Fuck it, Zevo thought. Silva was right, and he had bigger things to worry about than what his potential peasant customers thought of his appearance. Let's keep moving. They walked through more destruction and anguish. Zevo and Silva did their best to ignore it. They rounded the corner and saw a line of shivering folk stretch down the street. At first, Zevo thought this was the line for crippled Kates. Excuse me, he said to the last person in line, a greybeard with a stooped back and a wooden cane that looked ready to splinter. What is this for? For the church, of course, the old man spat. Mother Maria's given out food and water. You'll have to wait your turn, mutant. No, Zevo sighed. I won't. He walked towards the church, ignoring the cry saying how unfair it was. Our friends are in there, Silva said to them with surprising meekness, but no one heard her. Despite their clear annoyance, no one tried to stop them. They entered the modest stone church, complete with a spire and bell that somehow avoided destruction. The line extended to the back of the church, where a slapshod wooden table was thrown together and three robed followers of the Church of the Eternal Fire were doling out stew. Zevo again bypassed the line and asked the first acolyte, Do you know where Mother Maria is? One of the robed figures, a woman with steel-gray hair and a round face, looked to the witcher and said, I am Mother Maria. Can I help you? I'm looking for an elf named Ethramel. Did he contact you yet? Zevo feared that the sorcerer may have been strung up by an angry mob on his way to the church simply for being an elf. How do you know Ethramel? Mother Maria asked. The question annoyed Zevo. How do you know him? I knew him in Novigrad forty years ago, when he was a roving alcoholic, Mother Maria said matter-of-factly. I think I was one of the few humans he could stand, and who could stand his degeneracy. That may still be the case. I've been traveling with him for months, Zevo said, and I can assure you that still is the case. Have you seen him? Mother Maria nodded as she wiped her hands with a dirty cloth and stepped away from the table. They're staying in the basement. Follow me. The basement looked to be a storeroom, with sacks and crates pushed against the wall in an orderly fashion. Torches illuminated each wall, and the table in the center of the room held six lit candles. Ethramel was sitting at the table, admiring a dusty bottle of red wine. When we parted, you had Jeremiah with you. Now you don't. Ethramel put the bottle down and leaned forward, the light illuminating his scarred face. Is he dead? If Zevo wasn't mistaken, he thought he heard true concern in Ethramel's voice. It almost sounded like he cared about Jeremiah's fate. Maybe that bump on his head rattled his brain. Zevo said, He's alive, but they're amputating his leg as we speak. I'm going back in two hours to get them. I'll bring him here. Do you have medicine on hand, Mother Maria? 
Mother Maria nodded. Yes, nothing heavy duty, but enough for first aid. You all are welcome to stay as long as you like. Thank you, Maria, Ethramel said. If the rest of the church acted like you, I'd have no reason to fear them. I suppose that's the best compliment I could hope for, Mother Maria sighed. I'll leave you be. Ethramel said, I see you've lost your eye patch, Zevo. I must admit, I've seen you with it for so long, I forgot it was even there. It looks... Okay. I appreciate the comment, the Witcher said. Silva sat on a sack of flour in the corner. So what's our next move? she asked. It'll take some time for Jeremiah to recover. In the meantime, the wild hunt is loose in our world, as well as your son, Ethramel. Ethramel opened his mouth, likely to deny his parentage. But he caught himself, and instead said, Yes, my son Colden is still out there, and we must find him. But first, I must be going. You're kidding, Zevo said when Ethramel stood up and grabbed his sword and staff. Where are you off to now? The wild hunt was riding east from Novograd, towards Edern, Ethramel said. I've got people I care about there. They need to be warned. I'll be back before you know it. Before Zevo or Silva could protest, Ethramel created a portal and stepped through it. Zevo spat and muttered, Fucking sorcerers. He looked to Silva and added, Offense intended. Silva nodded, Offense taken. 2. Ethramel feared for Thema, Sodrain, and baby Aelin, so he wasted no time teleporting to his tower in the town of Undying. He doubted the wild hunt would ride directly through there, but he didn't want to leave anything to chance. Those elves represented the future of his people, quite literally. So Ethramel teleported without a second thought, expecting to find the three having breakfast downstairs, possibly with Adro and Raneth as well. Instead, he found silence. The sorcerer knew something was off the instant he stepped into the top level of the tower. The air was too still, and it made Ethramel afraid to breathe as if he was hiding and even the slightest noise would give him away. His skull pounded against his brain, which certainly didn't help. His nerve settled. The room looked just as he left it. He headed downstairs, wondering if the young family was taking a nap, but all their beds were empty. The sheets and blankets had been smoothed and tucked, however. Thema? Ethramel called. Sodrain? Silence. Adro? Raneth? Are you here? No answer. Aelin? Likely in town to get supplies, the sorcerer decided, placing pressure on the side of his head. That was good. They obviously didn't flee in a hurry, in fear of the wild hunt. Ethramel could do for some quiet time anyway, until they got back. Then he could teleport them all somewhere safe. Ethramel took a deep breath and sat at the simple wooden table. He leaned his head against the backrest. Ethramel opened one eye and saw a letter on the table, turned out to face the room. He picked it up and read it. Ethramel, we hope this letter finds you well. We hope it finds you at all, but with the way things are going, who knows when you'll be returning to find it. Regardless, this is to let you know that we have left, all five of us. We're heading to Doblathana to be with our people. Duchess Findebear and her army can keep us safer than this tower. We know the trek is dangerous, and we may not make it, but we thought long and hard about it, and decided that leaving outweighed the risk of staying. Truth is, 
We cannot depend on you, Ethramel. You come and go as you please, often half-drunk or angry or scared. You bring strangers around us, and we can never feel fully comfortable, knowing you might pop in at any moment. We have only survived this long because of Adro and Raneth, and they agree that it's time to move on. When Sodrain and I first beheld you at the Scoyatel camp in Kalmak, we thought you were the awaited savior of our people, and would help lead us into an age of prosperity, or, at the very least, would lead us someplace peaceful and safe. Time, in multiple interactions with you, revealed that you were just like everyone else. Fallible. Please don't take this personally, but I can't trust our lives to an elf who lies and abandons his own son. We've taken the remaining supplies and hope to be in Dolblathana within a week. I want Aelin to grow up around her own people. Take care of yourself. Thema, Sodrain, Adro, Raneth. They must have written the letter just this morning. Probably got right to it the second Athramel teleported everyone to Novigrad. Fuck! Ethramel shouted, slamming the paper back on the table. Fuck! 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 He stood up so fast the chair clattered to the ground. Nothing about this felt right. They can't just leave without telling him. What gave them the right? And they were headed to Doblathana? The elven kingdom lied east of the town of Undying, the same direction the Gutter Rebellion was marching, if Arthur was to be believed. And Ethramel knew from first-hand experience that Duchess Francesca Findebert could not protect her own people. You fucking fools, Ethramel spat. A surge of power blasted from him, kicking up dust and cracking the ancient masonry holding the stone tower together. Ethramel didn't care. He summoned a fireball and threw it at the wooden bed. The straw mattress caught instantly. Ethramel screamed, and another wave of power pulsed from him, cracking the stone and splintering the floor. Ethramel stomped his foot, and the wooden ground beneath him broke clean through. Ethramel bent his ankle, pulling it from the ground, and a string of curses escaped his lips as he fell onto his ass. The fire from the bed caught the curtains, and black smoke poured from the open window. Ethramel felt a strange buckling beneath him, as if the tower was collapsing from the base. Looking at the crumbling walls around him, Ethramel thought the tower might very well collapse. His head felt like it would split open. Sense returned to the sorcerer in small streams. Ethramel touched his swelling ankle and winced. He dragged himself towards the table against the wall and hauled himself up. The four elves couldn't have gotten far from the town of Undying. Perhaps Ethramel could catch up with them, let them know of the danger they were headed towards. Yes, that was the least he could do for those ungrateful bastards, who have scorned his hospitality but it would do no good chasing after them half-cocked, Ethramel argued with himself, especially with his ankle swelling and turning mottled and his brain pounding. Yes, that was true. What he needed first, the sorcerer decided, was a drink, and for someone to tend to his ankle and head. Yes, the more he thought about it, the more that idea appealed to him. He could go anywhere he wanted for those two things, anywhere but this cursed and collapsing tower. Ethramel snatched the letter on the table and wrote hastily at the bottom of it with quill and ink. I'm sorry, the note read, and nothing else. Ethramel summoned a portal and hobbled through it. He never returned to Signet's Tower as long as he lived. 
That'll do it for this episode of Tales from the Witcher. This podcast is written and produced by Jacob Gerstel. The Witcher novels are by Andrzej Sapkowski, The Witcher games are by CD Projekt Red, and The Witcher tabletop RPG is by R. Talsorian Games. The music is by Eric Matias at soundimage.org. Be sure to leave a rating and a review, and to spread the word of this podcast far and wide. You can follow the podcast at Tales Witcher Pod on X or at talesfromthewitcher.buzzsprout.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you again next week.